A few years ago, I was in Clovis, New Mexico, and I visited with two Baptist women. They began talking about their church group, and one Baptist woman said that there is a woman in their group who is just so against the pastor. She said they're building a new building, and this woman just objected to what they were doing. Alice said to me, what do you think might be wrong with her? Out of my mouth came, maybe she's a prophet. It was shocking, I'm sure, to all of us. That came from the Holy Spirit. I didn't even think about such a thing. If you read the work of prophets in the Old Testament, God was always having them carry messages to the kings and the rulers concerning sin in the congregation, concerning sins especially being committed by the leaders. Prophets have an unusual calling. Everybody else can just be rejoicing over something, and a prophet has an anointing to see the flaw in the situation. This is Joan Boney speaking. A few years ago, I attended a church in Dallas, Word of Faith, Robert Tilton was pastor. We had a woman at the church who was said to be a prophet. I visited with her quite a bit. She told me that when something was wrong, she got sick at her stomach and would just have to flee the building and throw up. I'm glad that doesn't happen to me. Some little church group invited Ava to come down and speak to them and also to pray over the pastor and one of the elders. Pastor and elder were starting a business together. Ava got to the church building and she told me that usually she got up in front of people and kind of bypassed the message and then when she, they slept, the congregation just kind of slept until she got ready to give the real message and then they all got mad at her. Churches were always killing prophets. In the synagogue, they were always killing the prophets. At that meeting, 
the end of the meeting, pastor and elder came forth to have Ava, so to speak, anoint them. But Ava got sick at her stomach and had to leave the room. And the other people in the congregation were praying for the pastor and elder and the business they were starting. Within a few months, the pastor and the elder were suing each other in a U.S. court of law over problems in the business. By the Bible, do we have prophets in the New Testament church today? Ephesians chapter 4, verse 8, and verses 11 through 14 answer this for us. When he, Jesus, ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. He gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ till all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. Paul gave some instructions to the New Testament church concerning prophets. 1 Corinthians 14, the Apostle Paul says, Let the prophets speak two or three, and let the other judge. If anything be revealed to another that sitteth by, let the first hold his peace. For ye may all prophesy one by one, that all may learn and that all may be comforted. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all churches of the saints. The Holy Spirit never takes over the body of the individual. The Holy Spirit brings information to the, to the individual. A prophet would never take over a meeting and do ridiculous things. I attended a church once in Clovis, New Mexico, just for one service. The pastor was teaching. 
uh, a lesson concerning Sarah and Hagar, her handmaid. All of a sudden, a woman in the congregation jumped up and waved her hands in the air and began saying, Praise the Lord! Praise the Lord! And she ran all around the room saying, Praise the Lord! Pastor laughed and everybody else got excited and laughed. They thought that was the Holy Spirit. I was just horrified. I knew it was not the Holy Spirit. After the church service, as I was driving back to my house, I was talking to God. I said, I don't know what that was, but it was not the Holy Spirit. And I heard these words from 1 Corinthians 14, verse 30. Let all things in the church, let all things be done decently and in order. And that was the answer on that subject. This woman was terribly out of order. I believe this is the kind of thing Paul addressed in 1 Corinthians 14 when he said, Let your women keep silence in the churches, for it is not permitted to them to speak, but they must also be under obedience. And if they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home. When God was working with me, he said, Look at what these women were doing. And I carefully looked at that passage of Scripture. And I could tell they were asking questions in the church service. For Paul said, if they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home. Women have a way of taking over with questions. Philip the evangelist had four daughters who who were prophets. They did prophesy. In order to prophesy, you have to speak at the church because prophecy is for the church. That's another passage of scripture God took me to. When I was first born again, I didn't start in the New Testament. God took me to the Old Testament and had me read all the sections about the prophets. Hosea chapter 12, verse 13. And by a prophet, the Lord brought Israel out of Egypt, and by a prophet was he preserved. And I could see by that scripture, prophets were used by God to help you to get out of traps and to help you to stay out of traps. Prophets deliver messages primarily to the disobedient. 
although they could deliver a message to the church concerning something that is coming in the future. The religious people always killed the prophets. Jesus said several statements to this effect in Matthew 23. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because ye build the tombs of the prophets and garnish the sepulchres of the righteous and say, If we had been in the days of our fathers, we would not have been to takers with them in the blood of the prophets. Wherefore ye be witnesses unto yourselves that ye are the children of them which killed the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your fathers. Then Jesus said, Ye serpents of vipers, ye generation of vipers, how can ye escape the damnation of hell? He was speaking to the religious leaders. Ye serpents, ye generation of vipers, how can ye escape the damnation of hell? Wherefore, behold, I send unto you prophets and wise men and scribes, and some of them ye shall kill and crucify, and some of them shall ye scourge in your synagogues and persecute them from city to city, that upon you may come all the righteous blood shed upon the earth, from the blood of righteous Abel unto the blood of Zacharias, son of Bacharias, whom ye slew between the temple and the altar. Verily I say unto you, all these things shall come upon this generation. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, and ye would not. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. In 1980, I went to church with a woman and her husband. We went to Word of Faith in Farmer's Branch, Texas, just north of the city limits of Dallas. The pastor was a man named Robert Tilton. He was just starting the work in the church at that point. We met in an old warehouse out in Farmer's Branch. There were, if it on a really good day, there would be maybe 200 people there. 
Bob was a very likable person, a very uh, boyish type person. I liked him. I never really enjoyed the meetings at the church. I mainly liked the Sunday school class. But I stayed there for probably four years. After I went on radio and traveled from city to city, I began to have people ask me questions about him. The radio station manager in Pittsburgh became a friend of mine, and he liked me very much. And he said to me, there's just one thing. I just don't understand how Robert Tilton can be your pastor. I don't understand that. I didn't say much in response. Vanetta Copeland, Kenneth Copeland's mother, said the same thing to me. They thought there was quite a serious problem with Robert Tilton. He was very ambitious. He was so ambitious that once from the pulpit, he said he was going to be greater than Kenneth Copeland, that he was going to have more radio stations than, than Kenneth Copeland. Bob had just gone on radio at that time. He started a television show in the Dallas area in the early 80s. And he invited Ava Pickard, a prophet from our church group, to be on his show. After the show was over, Ava called me in tears. She said just before they went on stage and on camera, Bob said, Just one thing, Ava, don't say anything about being a prophet. She was crying, and I was actually furious with him. What he had done by that is to kill a prophet, to keep her from talking, to put those boundaries on her is to kill a prophet. I delivered this very message to Bob that I just read to you, and I told him, because you've done this, your house is going to be left desolate unto you. He was married and had two children. I didn't go back to that church. Actually, I'd pulled, been pulled out of that church before that happened. God had given me a dream which terrified me. In this dream, 
a man was speaking to a small group of people. I went into the room and sat down and began listening to this man. Another man came in and said, Stop. Can't you see? It's too late. It's already begun. It appeared that nobody paid any attention to this man except me, and I wanted to see what was already done. So I looked to my left out a set of glass windows were on my left, and I looked to the left. There was a very tall pole with a yellow civil defense type speaker on top of the pole. Gas was coming out of the speaker, a white gas, and I could tell it was poisonous. It was going to kill the people, and it was headed straight toward us. I looked at the man who was sitting next to me. He didn't seem to be aware of the speaker or the gas. The man speaking to the group resumed speaking, Everybody was looking at him, directly looking at him. They had big smiles on their faces. But when I looked at the man who was seated next to me, I saw this man was a corpse. He was already dead. I looked around the room, and the other people were corpses. As I sat down there among them, I began to drift off to sleep, and I knew the gas from the speaker was killing me. The most shocking thing to me was the instrument that was put there for the very purpose of warning us was the device that was being used to kill us. I did not know what this meant at the time I had this dream. It was a very scary time in the United States. It was the period of the gas wars where we had gas shortages at our service stations. There, there were signs that would say no gas and you drive down the street and where there should have been lines of people there was no gas it felt vacated two years later I went to a church service at Word of Faith on a Wednesday night I looked at the man sitting next to me and I was shocked. He was the man in the poison gas dream, the dead man. I looked over the rest of the congregation 
and realized they were like the dead people in that dream. I said to God, I think you are showing me to leave this church. I'm going to go and get in my car right now and drive away. But if I'm wrong and you want me to come back, I'll come back. I left that church building never to return to it. When Ava called me to tell me what Tilton had done to her, I made a tape recording and sent to him telling him because of what he had done to Ava, his church was going to be left desolate to him. His home was going to be left desolate to him. That was 1982. Many subsequent things happened to him. He went on a trip to Hawaii and became fascinated with infomercials on television. And he went off in that direction of speaking. Still in the church. And I don't know exactly what happened, but he and Marty divorced. He met a woman who said she was an evangelist and they married. Then they divorced and she tried to sue him for something. He met a third woman and married her. By that time, he was heavily into Infomotion commercials. He went off to Florida and tried to start a church. The church at Word of Faith in Farmer's Branch completely broke up. Several of the congregation gathered together to file a lawsuit against Bob for extortion. because he had promised them a hundredfold return on their money, on their offerings, if they gave offerings to him, and it did not happen. But probably the worst thing visible was his handling a prayer request. He was with a big ad agency named Michael Ellison, and for a short time I was with that agency so I knew what they did Bob is the one who put me with the agency he said they can do you a lot of good I was on radio from coast to coast at that time the begging for money on the broadcast became incredibly intensive ABC News did an expose, and their report was 80% of the time of the meeting was fundraising. He was said to be the fastest-growing church in the United States during those years. At the time they presented this ABC 
Primetime Live expose. Their offerings were $80 million a year. By that time, Bob had built a big 8,000-seat auditorium with television studios built in the auditorium. And he had a large church group. The Primetime Live, ABC Primetime Live newscast that featured Tilton was an expose. Offerings were sent to the church at Farmers Branch, Texas, but they were automatically forwarded to a bank in Tulsa, Oklahoma, whereby the testimony of the bank employees, the envelopes containing the prayer request that Bob had asked for had money in them. The bank employees were assigned to open the letters, throw the prayer request in the garbage, and deposit the money in the account for the ministry. One of the first things the ad agency said they wanted me to do was put on my material, send me your prayer request. I was just horrified. I said, no, I don't want to do that. They were surprised. They said, you don't? And I said, no, they should pray. They should pray, not me. And the ad agent said, well, you're missing a good bet because when they put their prayer request into an envelope, they will send money. It was a fundraising technique. Marilyn Hickey was in that group. One of her church members told us that one time she got a little bag of rice and an envelope from Marilyn, and Marilyn said, "Send me your prayer, uh, send me your prayer request." And they were supposed to use this rice in some way to increase their faith. It made no sense whatsoever, and they were to send this rice packet back to Marilyn, and I thought that was so peculiar. But it was nothing but a way to get them to put a stamp on an envelope and put money in the envelope. This church woman who told us this, she she said she just threw hers away. There are so many non-scriptural things done in the churches when I first became a Christian I had no idea that evil 
was in churches. I didn't, I had no idea. I was such a puppy, just like a puppy. When you bring one home, they just have, they're so happy and they just go from person to person. And I was just so happy to be in the church. I was having a meeting in Seattle. And as I left the convention center and went to the airport to fly back to Dallas, the Holy Spirit said to me, the foundation is laid. Now we are really going to move. I was excited over that word. A few weeks later, I was at having a meeting at a church in Hobbs, New Mexico. And on the way back to Dallas, the Holy Spirit said to me, The time is come that judgment must begin at the house of God. Over and over, all the way back to Dallas, the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. I didn't know what that meant. I did know it is a scripture in First Peter, but I did not know what it meant. A few days upon returning to Dallas, God brought to my mind some ministry stories that I had heard about evil in the ministries. And I knew I had to try to warn the ministers. One story was about Jimmy Swaggart. My own ad agent had told me that Swaggart got tired of having those little meetings with 500 people attending, and he wanted his, his meetings to be bigger. So he hired this ad agency, Michael Ellison Ad Agency. And they told him, stop preaching so much and start singing. Swaggart was a country western singer. entertain the people. The message I delivered to Swigert was go back to preaching. Cut out that entertainment and go back to preaching. But I couldn't get the message to Swigert. It was intercepted by the people that checked his mail and I never could get a message to him. At the same time, in 1982, I had been given word from God to send a message to Jim Baker, a TV preacher spelled B-A-K-K-E-R, concerning fornication and adultery. So I recorded a message for Jim Baker and sent that to him. I got a letter back supposedly from Jim Baker signed by Jim Baker.
The letterhead that I had written the message on about adultery had our logo, Jesus Ministries logo, at the top corner of the paper. The letter I got back from Jim Baker said, Dear Jesus, thank you for your inspiring message. Jesus, I want you to know that Tammy Faye and I prayed for you today. Signed, Jim Baker. It wasn't very long after that that the big scandals came out about Baker. His theme park, which he had built, and he had promised the contributors if they gave a certain amount of money, they could have, I believe it was a weekend at the theme park every year. There was just one problem. They didn't have enough rooms to fulfill the promise. The U.S. Justice Department got involved in this one. Baker was taken to court and he was found guilty of fraud and taken to prison. His wife, Tammy Faye, divorced him. She remarried. Baker got out of prison and married another woman and started another TV minister. In Matthew 5.32, Jesus says, But I say unto you, that whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, causeth her to commit adultery, and whosoever shall marry her that is put away, that is divorced, committeth adultery. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 7, 10 and 11 says, And unto the married I command, Yet not I, but the Lord. Let not the wife depart from her husband, but, and if she depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband. And let not the husband put away his wife. That was to the New Testament church. And Paul said it is a commandment of the Lord. Let not the wife depart from her husband. But and if she depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband. And let not the husband put away his wife. In Mark 10, the Pharisees came to Jesus and asked him, Is it lawful 
for a man to put away his wife. They were tempting Jesus. And he, Jesus, answered and said unto them, What did Moses command you? And they said, Moses suffered to write a bill of divorcement and to put her away. And Jesus answered and said unto them, For the hardness of your heart, he wrote you this precept. But from the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. For this cause shall a man leave his father and his mother and cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. So then they are no more twain, but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. Later his disciples asked him a similar question about divorce and remarriage, and Jesus said, Whosoever shall put away his wife and marry another committeth adultery against her. And if a woman shall put away her husband and be married to another, she committeth adultery. That's Mark ten eleven twelve. I received a letter from a woman who said she was a minister. She wanted to meet with me to discuss her mother's first, no, second marriage. God said to me, no, don't even discuss the second marriage with her. Just look at what the scriptures say on the subject of divorce and remarriage. And I told that woman this, and she never contacted me again. Romans chapter 7 the Apostle Paul says, Know ye not, brethren? For I speak to them that know the law, how that the law hath dominion over a man as long as he liveth. For the woman which hath an husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he liveth. But if the husband be dead, she is loosed from the law of her husband. So then, if while her husband liveth she be married to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband be dead, she is free from that law, so that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. In 1 Corinthians 7, the Apostle Paul presented the ruling for the New Testament church concerning widows remarrying. Verse 39, The wife is bound by the law as long as her husband liveth. But if her husband be dead, she is at liberty to be married to whom she will only in the Lord, meaning she had to marry another Christian. 
Paul says, but she is happier if she so abide after my judgment, and I think also that I have the Spirit of God. In other words, Paul is saying, I believe she's happier if she continues as a widow, and I think I have the Spirit of God on the subject. But she is free to remarry, but only to another Christian. By these examples, you see the work of prophets today in the New Testament church. I will give you some more examples in the next recording. If you wish to read about Robert Tilton or Jimmy Swaggart or Jim Baker, you can go to Wikipedia, the uh, the Internet Encyclopedia and read those stories. It's not that I'm recommending it. I'm just saying if you want to read them, you can. We have printed all of the scriptures out for you on our blog, Jesus Ministries Exhortations. If you will go to that blog, on the right-hand side of the page, you will see podcast. Click on the link and bring up the episode, Let the Prophets Speak. You will see this recording, which you can hear again if you care to do so. But you will see all of the scriptures that are put on this recording. This is Joan Boney. I'll continue with prophet examples in the next recording.